1: back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount+, Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson.
2: Hello, folks.
1: Alan Seiler.
3: Yeah, that did not sound not like my, a Keith intro. Not
2: my typical greeting. <laughs> I, I froze.
3: My, mine is. We haven't heard from the green one. And Veronica hello Hi!
0: That is my typical one.
2: It is.
1: <laughs> All right. Away from this week and Trek
2: this week, Keith? Just uh, just a couple, because um, it wasn't a lot. It's like nothing happened in the entire month of October throughout human history, which is so funny when you, <laughs> <laughs> when you do these. There is one very important that I think is extremely significant um, and actually kind of, sort of, peripherally even has to do with caves. And that is on the 15th of October, 1992. I'm really reaching here. The final script was co- delivered for Chain of Command.
3: I knew that's what you were going to be saying. Yes. I knew it was going to be about Chain of Command.
2: Yes. <laughs> Literally one of the best episodes, I say, in Star Trek history. And of course, anybody who doesn't know what that is, just think what is it? There are four lights.
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> there so, are five.
2: Yes, and some of the best acting of all the Star Trek. And guess what? There was a cave that they had to run around in, and a cave right. that they had to scale, and so forth. So I can't wait to talk about caves tonight. But that was so funny <laughs> to me. <make. laughs> Another one. This is a personal one. On the sixteenth of October, nineteen eighty-nine, was the debut of one of my favorite episodes because it's such a. I think it's a really dramatically good episode. It deals with the Prime Directive, and that is the TNG episode "Who Watches the
3: Watchers." Oh, I love that episode. Yes, yeah,
0: that's a really good one. It's
3: it's not one of the ones that you ever think of when you're like mm-hmm. name your top. I mean, even if you're doing like seventy-five TNGs, that's not one of the first ones you'd think of. But I really like it. Mm.
1: Yeah.
2: I love that episode too. How about you, Charles?
1: Oh yeah, that's a great episode.
2: Yeah, it's also in the season where uh, that's third season, right? That's um, yeah. it's also when Star Trek made a noticeable change in quality from season two to season three. I mean, right. it, it hit on all cylinders in that season, and when you, but there's a lot of good in season two, but when you really start talking about the episodes that you love in TNG, they start hitting in season three. Um, I even remember the music from that episode, which is something I don't say a lot about Trek outside the original series. Um, but just a really great prime directive episode. I know some people don't like the fact that yeah, I've read some things where people say the fact that the belief in a god turned everybody crazy, violent, basically <laughs> burned people at the stake. But hey, it is what it is.
0: <laughs> and that's kind of related to caves, too.
3: <laughs> really?
0: Because uh, uh, they were in the cave oh, yes. thing. Oh, yeah. yes. You're right. Line.
3: Keith, yep. you're just hitting the theme left and right and don't even <laughs> yes. realize it. That's <laughs> yes, how good right. you are.
2: <laughs> it was a cave with like the seven foot wall and water yeah. and places and rocks to sit on. <laughs>
1: yeah, You're
2: right. <laughs> uh, another one. This is all personal this week. The 18th of October, 1968. Charles, one of your favorite OS episodes debuted, which you have many, you've said many times is beautiful in appearance as well as subject matter. Is it metamorphosis? No, it's actually, is there in truth, no beauty? Because I just oh. realized
3: I wrote the wrong thing. <laughs> Jeez. I, is,
2: is there in truth, no beauty is the episode.
3: I like that one too. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> but, the, but the real question is, is there in truth, no caves? Oh, Let's
2: see. There's not a cave in that I don't think episode. there's a cave That's in true. that one. No. That is
3: true.
0: You, you shouldn't have mentioned that one, Keith. <laughs> okay. Okay.
2: Now I got a theme. Okay. Last two. On 19th of October 1987, Veronica, the introduction of the Ferengi aired. Yeah. As the big bads who were going to go on to become the equivalent of the Klingons and the Romulans.
3: That, yeah, that panned made... out really well. Right.
0: <laughs> yes. That was kind of like an open cave. It had yeah. stalactites all over the place.
3: Yeah, that's go. true.
2: The last outpost where the Re-team. Ferengi were first introduced with fur and laser whips.
3: Yeah, I I like those laser whips. I do too, man. Those are cool.
2: Yes, and then the last one, the 20th of October, this is all series and episode premieres, the 20th of October, 1966. Wow. Another one of my absolute favorites from the original series, What Are Little Girls Made Of? Hmm. Which has modern Star Trek tie-ins because Dr. Roger Corby, who we now know from Strange New Worlds is going to be somewhat integral in Christine's future was featured it brought in um, some stuff from robert block who was one of the writers of the twilight zone this whole concept of the old ones and ancient spacefaring race and it showed that to make an android you just put somebody on the table and spun them around several times (laughs) Then an android popped out you know (laughs) that was a pretty cool effect though it was and it was it took place in a series of caves
3: it did I, exactly <laughs> that one exactly you have one outlier tonight that all the other ones line up yeah. with our theme beautifully right wild keeping oh, up with
0: week? the one-third <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah that's this week in trek and cave history <laughs> Trek and cave history and matt sweatman is wondering if our subject tonight is how caves are represented in each trek series well, something <laughs> like that something like that Now we're, we'll we'll be talking about the lord x episode
1: caves in a little while but first we, were, we thought we'd talk about some of the interesting alien environments that we've seen in star trek uh which some of which are caves and some of which aren't and you know, how effectively they were pulled off and how effectively mm-hmm. they, they were used narratively. Because mm-hmm. I mean, for a long time, Star Trek obviously has been, you know, having to rely on the budget that they had and the resources they had to try to yeah. pull off alien worlds every week. Not every week, some weeks, <laughs> many, many
0: weeks.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I mean, just to, to jump off of what Matt said, I mean, there are quite a few episodes set in caves.
3: One yeah. Night. Yeah. Let's talk about the best one ever. Okay. I'm being Sad. facetious. Oh, Heart of Stone. Oh, I, 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 I like heart of stone. I, I, I do like, too.
0: Isn't that the one with with Odo and the changeling and yeah, it's I, coming up? That was the one I was gonna talk about. That's I like that one.
3: Oh, uh, <laughs> but that's the one where Kira is that whole oh that whole lovey dovey nonsense.
0: We all
2: think alike because literally just before we went to air, I was it just came to mind. That's like I don't want to call Alan out, but I'm like, is that the episode Alan didn't like? <laughs> That's
0: great. That is correct.
3: I like all the rest of the episode, just not the yeah. cave nonsense. What were you going to say about it, Veronica?
0: Well, I was going to say that um, <laughs> the way that they thought that Odo thought the cave was going of of growing up her leg and then covering her body mm-hmm. that was that was a pretty cool concept and i really enjoyed that mm-hmm. and it looked okay. like they harkened back to that a little bit in in this lower deck episode sure. we're going to talk about later yeah. um mm-hmm. even though it was actually a changeling just making it look like that's what happened mm-hmm. but the changeling had to get the idea from somewhere <laughs> so therefore that is clearly a thing that happens on some planet somewhere that they have seen
1: okay yeah i mean i i thought it was effectively using that one using the cave because they're very isolated. Yes. And it's very much, you know, that part of the episode is very much a two-hander with Nana yep. Visitor and Renan Bregenwa. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they, they use it really well. I mean, that that's the episode where like Odo essentially breaks down, not necessarily in tears, but just about in tears, which is very unusual for Odo. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, uh, I think it was usually well, the setting, um, just pairing those two up and letting the, the sort of the, the drama uh, and suspense build between them. <laughs> Yeah.
2: yeah, it's actually one I listened to some interviews recently with uh, Nana Visitor, and she actually uh, called that out as one of the episodes that she enjoyed because it, she said that she was on DS9 for seven years, and she was devastated when the show ended because she mm-hmm. said she didn't know if, if before or since she would ever find a show like that to give her that type of acting ability. Right, and what she did like about that episode and that show was the was the dramatic arc that she got to play. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So she really loved that one. Mm-hmm. Well, what are some of the other environments that you guys were thinking of and you know, that were used effectively or ineffectively on Star Trek?
3: My I favorite thing, of... go ahead, go ahead. No, go, go ahead, I was just going to say it. my favorite thing about Star Trek and, you know, when we're talking about these kind of things is that it's always an entire planet, mm. like, like something is a desert planet or an ocean planet you know right. there's there's never any like variants of environments on a particular any planet right <laughs> it's always one thing Yeah,
1: they, they lampooned that in an episode of stargate sg1 where they thought they were on an ice planet because they climbed out of the cave and right. there was like ice everywhere and turns out they're in antarctica <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> What were you going to say, Keith?
2: That's really great. One of them is, it's ridiculously obvious, but you can't avoid it. One of them where the environment of the entire planet has shaped the the people is Vulcan Mm -hmm. itself. Now, I don't know how canon this is, but I've read the book. I think it's Fox World. Is that the Mm -hmm. one I'm thinking of? Yeah. And if I'm thinking correctly, that book starts out with Vulcan prehistory. And it starts with early Vulcan hominids, basically akin to us maybe a million years ago. where They were kind of what we would call a missing link. And what the book contests at that time is that Vulcan was actually a very green and fertile world full of water and trees and so forth. But there was a solar flare on the Vulcan sun. And that solar flare is what flashed the planet, burned off most of the water and turned it into a desert planet. And whether that's canon or not, you know, we look at the Vulcans, they're an incredibly tough race. It also blow, it, it. blew away a lot of their uh, protective atmosphere and their oxygen. And mm. so now we look at Vulcan, it's a planet with thin air, low oxygen, very high temperature, and it's a desert planet. And what I've always found very amazing about Vulcan, which we saw in uh, the animated episode yesterday, is Vulcans, sometimes Vulcans, I think, are even cooler than people realize because as sophisticated and intelligent and so forth as they are. They still they still send their seven year old children seven year old children out into the forge yep. to survive. I love that. What a, what a crazy culture. It's like what we would call <laughs> warrior monks in our fiction.
1: Right. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, on some of the newer Star Treks, we've actually seen some a little more variety on the Vulcan environments. Um, mm-hmm. And I, another, there was a an episode of Voyager that referenced this city. I think it was like Raal or something that's on the sea. And then we got a scene set in that episode that's like there's an ocean and, you know, or, or a body of water, and which is an unusual thing to see for, yes. for, for portrayals of Vulcan. Often oftentimes it was just a red background with some rocks or yes. or an exterior. <laughs> right. Yes. Um,
2: and one of the episodes, of course, where Vulcan itself really came into play, obviously, was the first trip to Vulcan, which was a mock time. Right. Where... Kirk not only found himself in the horrible position of fighting his half Vulcan first officer, but as McCoy said, "If the heat doesn't kill you, the thin air will." And right. the whole point of that was—I still don't know why Kirk—I t- well, know why he took that, but the whole thing was Kirk was basically about to die due heat stroke, or suffocation, or getting his head cut off, whichever. <laughs> yeah, <it did>. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh and so I think that's that's a that's a good example where the the, the nature of the planet plays greatly into mm-hmm. these people because they are still one of the most physically impressive people in Star Trek, the Vulcans.
3: Sure, yeah. Matt Sweatman says that every science fiction property has ice planets or desert planets or jungle planets. That is absolutely true because mm-hmm. the first thing that's that came true. to mind was Arrakis. True.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, good one.
1: Good yes. one. Yes. Yeah. I think a desert planet to me seems a little more plausible than like a jungle planet does. Yeah. Um, because you're just a little bit too far from the sun to get a lot of foliage, you know, like, and we've seen, all, we've all seen pictures of Mars, and Mars is essentially that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not as hot, though. But um, I mean, that's one thing that we saw on Star Trek going all the way back. Because, you know, they had the Saclorama set, they put a different color gel on the sky and then yep. changed the rocks around. <laughs> You know, the, and you have go. different environment planets. You know, you, you want a jungle planet, you put some bushes around and make the sky green. <laughs> <You know>? Yes, <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> I what? I, you say that, Charles. I still miss those
2: planets where, like you said, the sky was purple and all these color, other colors. Mm-hmm. Wow. It was just yep. so cool.
1: Yeah. They're doing more of that now. You have sort mm-hmm. of the modern version of that, I guess, is their AR wall set. Oh, yes. You get a similar sort of feel off the AR wall set where you'll have... It just makes this, this, it makes it feel a little more more like a stage, which I'm not saying in a negative way, um, Mm -hmm. but it feels a little more like being on the cyclorama just with more interactive backgrounds Mm -hmm. in a lot
3: of cases. I think, it, you know, most all of the there's there's not that many times that Star Trek in any of its iterations has done a lot of location work. A lot of these exterior shots that we're talking about have all been done in studio. Mm -hmm. And I think the AR wall is something that you're in studio, but it makes it feel like it's not. Right. And it it is Mm -hmm. absolutely an extension of that. Well, quote unquote, technology from all the way back to the original series where it is exactly what you're saying. It's a big panoramic stage set that they would redress in different ways. And Mm -hmm. now it's just done digitally and, and live like as the action happens and the backgrounds can move and and can change as the story changes. And it's a fascinating technology.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they can, you know, like with green screen, they did a lot of stuff on green screen or blue Mm -hmm. screen before that. Right. But you have to light everything. Just right. Yeah. Just right. Yes, um, whereas, <laughs> really
0: just right. But
1: now with the AR wall set, they don't have to do that because you mm-hmm. get a lot of interactive lighting mm-hmm. from the environment. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have that the different colors cast on, the, which I think it it just gives it a different feel.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And uh, one of the things to say about what the different planetary atmosphere colors, as you're mentioning, Charles, I, I've read a lot of people say how unrealistic those were. But that's actually not true, because if you think about it, it's a very weird thing on our planet. We don't think about it, but we always think our sky is blue. And it is sometimes but our sky is red. It's red, it's orange, it's orange, Mm -hmm. and it's pink. And it all is from the same sun and the same sunlight. And it all has to do with what's filtering out the light as the light travels through it. So you can absolutely have a completely breathable planet for humans with a greenish sky or purplish sky if it had a certain amount of dust or if it Mm -hmm. had more argon in the atmosphere than nitrogen. So those were actually more realistic than I think we think. What wasn't realistic, but what I also miss, is you remember all that little humming background and so many planets in the original series? The wind chimes. Yes, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) It made no sense, but it was so cool. People used to call it the music of the spheres. Sure,
3: yeah. How do you know if it's an alien planet if you don't hear the wind chimes? (laughs) That's
1: true. (laughs) I was I was very active on Star Trek message boards when Star Trek 2009 came out, uh, and they filmed all the Vulcan stuff as exteriors, and Vulcan had a blue sky, mm. and that was uh, that was uh, a very controversial uh, thing. I uh, bet. Yeah. So
0: I was thinking about when you were talking about Vulcans and mm-hmm. in relation to caves. I was like, hey, Star Trek 2009, they were in a cave on Vulcan, and that's all we got of the. Uh, that's almost all we got of Vulcan.
1: Mm-hmm. 2009, we got all kind of Vulcan. They're like outside on Vulcan and in cities and stuff. What? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, Am
0: I not thinking about the one where Spock's mom just goes poof when they run out of the cave?
1: Well, they they were in the cave for that part, but they did, they did a skydive, and they're fighting on the drill platform, and there was a city...
0: Oh, I forgot that was on Vulcan.
3: Yeah. Which Star Trek 2009 were you watching, Veronica?
0: I, I thought that was closer to the beginning.
3: She has a the Cave
1: edition on DVD. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit.
3: Um, oh, okay. Couple of comments. Wayne. Okay. Hello Wayne says. Hello so, Wayne about Alan's comment on Arrakis. I was thinking the same thing. Dune, Arrakis, desert planet. Mm-hmm. And then Matt says, I love the location episodes of original series, such as Arena, Shore Leave, This Side of Paradise, even the location scenes in
0: Operation Annihilate. I yep. love the location scenes in that. They're
1: awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those are really good. Yeah. And I think the the location work on the original series looks particularly beautiful because the the way that mm. show was shot. Yep the types of lenses and the fact that they're shooting on 35 millimeter film. Yeah. Rather mm-hmm. than on video um, mm-hmm. or, you know, and they would edit, they would, they would film a lot of next gen and DS9 stuff on film, but then edit it on video. Mm-hmm. And like the DS9. So we still hasn't, haven't seen a film edit of a lot of that stuff. No, but yeah. the original series just looks fantastic. There's that famous scene where Kirk's running through the woods and it's a moving camera and it's just, it just looks great. Yes. And you get that right. natural lighting. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Shortly, is that it?
1: Uh-huh, no, um, yes, it is relief,
2: yeah, that's a good one, yeah, that's a good one. um, another planet I thought of where the planet itself, gosh i I guess I need to stay in the original series for this. um, some of it was the God computer, but some of it was the planet itself, and that was the planet in the apple, mhm. Because yeah, you don't know, so you remember the ball, the god computer, would zap the security guards with lightning bolts and so forth? Yeah. But it was also a weird planet because it had flowers that shot poisonous darts out of them. It had those crazy rocks where you split one and it didn't do anything, but if you threw it, it like blew up. So.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know what else it had? What's that? A big cave. Yep. Yeah. Oh yes, yes yeah. it
0: did. <laughs> And according to Matt's wetman, the foe is literally a cave.
1: Yeah. he <laughs> mentioned Vol in the comments a little while ago. Um, ah, interesting. And that, that's a great, I mean, it, that's a, a very stage-bound planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they use it very well. Yeah. And I mean that, you, that intro sequence, which is basically, I mean, it's kind of Star Trek cliched at this point, where you, they they're be being bound like, wow, it's like the Garden of Eden, what a wonderful place, and then it just starts murdering <laughs> red shirts left yeah, and right. right. <laughs> they're blowing up, and struck by lightning, <laughs> shot by darts, like this. Yes. <laughs> That's great.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I was watching. I was reading something online. One of the, uh, another Star Trek group. And two people got into an argument about which episode of the original series had the biggest red shirt deaths. And they were basically arguing between the apple and obsession. And, okay.
0: hmm.
2: but both of them had a high body count. But um, one of the things I do like about the apple, based on what you were saying, Charles, about you know, they, they beam down like, oh, this is paradise. I love the really brief scene where Kirk is beating himself up because one of the security guards who dies, Kirk said his father can help him get into the academy. Yeah. And Garavik. the whole the whole thing. Exactly. And Kirk is sitting there going basically, you know, I let myself be lulled into a sense of
1: security because it looked so beautiful. I, oh. I should have yeah, been more I think on my Ga- guard. Yeah, that Garavik was an obsession though. Mm-hmm. Um that that was on the mm. planet with a dichronium Cloud creature was after them.
2: Well who was the but there was another guy in the the Apple that that was killed, Kirk said oh. his his father got him to the academy. Oh, I don't remember then. And the reason I know is because it's when Spock told Kirk not to recriminate himself. And then right after that, Spock says, we're being watched. Mm, okay. But I didn't, I, I got to look that one up. Okay. So, so that was a couple of my picks. What do you guys have for other planetary environments? Well,
1: one that, that we've seen a lot, a location that we've seen a lot, which is a little mm-hmm. bit different from the studio bound locations, or the studio bound environments, is um, Vasquez Rocks. Mm-hmm. Oh, Which yeah, has been several point. planets. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think
0: of that. Good one. Yeah.
1: Yes. That's awesome. Real yeah.
0: life alien planet.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a great location, and they've it's very distinctive, and it's to the mm-hmm. point now where like you get like bonus points for reusing the same location instead of yeah. them saying like oh it's just the same rocks over again. You're like hey Vasquez rocks, <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: Yes,
2: and that one works because the entire planetoid for some strange reason has in in um uh, arena mm-hmm. has well basically that's the, 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 Metron said tools for you to destroy each other. So it had basically all the chemicals to create gunpowder and diamonds and all right. this kind of weird stuff lying around. So yeah, it was a very odd planet. <laughs> yeah. Now the Metrons may it. have
1: had a hand in that. Yeah. Um, making sure the right ingredients were within arm's reach if you were mm-hmm. looking for them. Yeah.
2: It, it also had what I used to notice too, which I also found funny when you see planetary environments, you ever notice how planets like that, there is always a boulder, strategically placed, just the right size that a human can roll to kill somebody below them. <laughs> Have you ever tried to push a
3: rock that size? I know, right?
0: <laughs> that doesn't move. I think it's a move I don't care how round the bottom of it is. It's not right. moving.
3: Right. Of course, there, it's easier when it's made not, out of...
0: It's, there, it's there for a reason. The wind has not blown it over for a reason.
3: Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's easier when it's made out of styrofoam. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So we've talked about deserts and we talked about jungles mm-hmm. and and we've talked about Vasquez rocks. Let let's. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about something different, something a little colder. I want to go to the ice worlds. So let's okay. talk about. Okay. Let's talk about the Andorians and and oh. their Ooh, yeah. home planet and where those have caves, and, and they have caves exactly. They live, in,
0: they live in the caves. <laughs> that's <laughs> where the wow. that's where the
3: Enars live exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm always been ever since their first appearance in the original series, I have always loved and been fascinated by the Andorians. And one of the things that I really loved in Enterprise was having a story that that goes to their home planet. Yeah, And, and you see, I mean, not much, you see a little bit of more of how the Enar live than the Andorians Mm -hmm. themselves. But, but I loved being able to see that. So you talk about a resilient race. This is, these are people that come up in bitter, bitter cold. And, you know, to the point where I don't know how they exist on a starship, they have got to be completely horribly uncomfortable, you know, to the point where, um, Bruce Horak's character, whatever his name was, you know, was going to jump out of the ship because it would, and that's the. We'll have to get into that another time. Where, where he should still be alive. Don't get me on Hammer, man. Don't get me on him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're going to lose this episode, <laughs> right? But, um, but I'll tell you, I, I I love the Andorians, and I want to mm-hmm. see more of their home. And you know, like I, in DS Nine, we saw a, a good bit more of Ferenginar. Yep. And we yeah. kind of get a sense, and that's another one—a rainy mm. planet. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's uh, something that I would like to get more of from an Andorian character. Something that mm-hmm. really explores where they come from and 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 what makes them the way they are, right? Yeah, and I mean, there's, also, for that. there's also there's mm-hmm. also Rora Penthe. True. Talk about cold.
2: It. You know, <laughs> Alan, I find it a very interesting contrast that in Enterprise. The Vulcans and the Andorians have been at war. Yeah. They're both two very fierce races of people, even though yeah. the Vulcans have logic. And you have one comes from a hot desert planet, and one comes from <laughs> a, a, a almost unlivable ice planet. But they are both fierce. Really, I call Vulcans warrior people, even though they got but, the logic. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. And I, I wish they had kind of made a little more of that. Yeah. In, you know, because we had that continuing story of the relationship between Vulcan and Andoria. And I wish that that had been like played up a little bit more, you know, because like the Enterprise crew goes to, um, you know, the first time we see these people are is in that temple. And I can't remember the name of it. But um, so we have both Vulcans and Andorians on this planet on this, whatever it was, an asteroid or whatever. And they're both outside of their normal comfort zone Mm, to be, to be literal about it. And I would like to have seen, you know, going into a colder climate, have an effect on Vulcans and going into warmer climates, have an effect on Andorians. I would like to see more of that kind of thing rather than, than just being humans in a human environment, wearing blue makeup and whatever.
1: Yeah. That would be funny to have like a, them having to meet on earth. And like the Andorians <laughs> are bundled up, and right. the Vulcans <laughs> are having to like, you know, wear cooling things. You know, they're meeting in like a, a temperate, <laughs> you yeah. know, a moderate climate, but it's, it's still kind of extreme for both of them. That'd be whether those are aliens or not. That'd be a, a cool concept for an episode. That's yeah, clear, yeah.
2: Because you, you could have a you could have a warm section for Vulcans and Klingons mm-hmm. and Cardassians. Uh, you could have a cold section for the um, Andorians and the Breen. No. It'd
3: be like Mr. Freeze on the old Batman show <laughs> yes. where, where you like click a dial and it turns blue. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just that part of
1: the room. Yes. And you're, you're right, Veronica. I said that backwards.
0: Yes.
2: Uh, one of, we one knew what you meant, sweetie. One of the thing I want to say real quick is Alan was talking about the cold. I was, I've been watching a lot of Viking history stuff. And one of the things that caused the Viking depredations of, of uh, Europe for hundreds of years was it was pretty damn hard for the Vikings, the Danes and so forth to live. Mm. Um, there was, it was hard to farm the land. And at least once or twice in human history, since like 2000 years BC, there's been a couple of many ice ages.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: historians and archaeologists and anthropologists have traced things like mass starvations and also mass wars of conquest during these many ice ages, where it's basically just too damn cold to grow food. And mm. people turned to conquering. So that would probably also explain why the Andorians became kind of a warrior race as well, because mm. it's hard to live on that planet.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and 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 thinking about that, is there a similar thing that happens in Andorian history? Did they go through, you know, we have ice ages. Did they go uh, through heat ages, you know, right. where, yeah. where their planet becomes unlivable for them because yeah. the 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 climate changes so drastically? Ooh, that's yeah. fascinating. I'm ready. Yes.
2: <laughs> Charles is like, you guys are really focused on the Enterprise here. But
3: <laughs> no. <laughs> but, well, it's but just two quick, that, that's where that's we saw the Enterprise
0: Andorians. episodes I remember.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. two quick things also about the Andorians. There was the episode where Archer has to fight Shran. And the weapon is some weird ice cutting tool, which is like <laughs> If they're yeah. weapon. And there, uh, there's also the episode when they go to Andoria. There are these really funky worms that literally burn through anything. They really kept dropping out of the cave roofs. Yes. So it was mm-hmm. it was some kind of weird worm that if it talked if it fell on you, it would burn your skin because they generate all the super heat and they live in the ice, which is just okay.
3: Really yeah, wild. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that's I'd forgotten about that. That's a good point, Keith. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt has a couple of things to say. One is that he loved the ice environment in all our yesterdays. Which yes. took
2: place
3: in? What, a cave?
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. When yeah. I fell there, Beth.
3: And he says, I think environmental and temperature adapting would be very important to the various races to train for in Starfleet. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. We may, we may see point. that in Starfleet Academy. Yeah. That mm-hmm. would be a good
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. pick up on right in the series.
0: Especially with them having been completely separated from yeah. each other and just stuck on their one planet. It's not like they're used to having gone... Back and forth.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Because for some species, it could be deadly to even leave their environment. You know, like some of it's uncomfortable. Some of it could truly be deadly, even to come to Earth.
3: Well, and that, you know, we saw in in Discovery, we saw that episode where Tilly is leading a mission of Mm. basically cadets, you know, Mm -hmm. who are straight out of the academy. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a mix of different races. And what would be interesting to see is that kind of mission, that kind of team put together and visiting different environments. And the one who is native to that environment helping the others to understand how right. to survive it, what to do when you're in this situation. This is how you adapt. And yeah. then another one who is from a you know very, very humid jungle planet helps the guy from the cold planet say, this is what you need to do here. And I think that would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, real,
2: and realistically,
3: although it was only touched on
2: once and badly in DS9, realistically, you would have beings from different gravity planets. That would be a huge problem.
3: Yes. And that's one of the things that I thought was great on Orville. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't deal with it as much as they should have. But the, the, the planet where uh, the security lady comes from has mm-hmm. a hugely heavy gravity. And mm-hmm. you can okay. see how it affects... You know humans when they walk out of the shuttle or whatever and onto the planet, yes. and I thought it was really well done. I think they should have done more because mm-hmm. she exists way too easily on the Orville, you know, right. in our gravity. Right, but, right. Because Oral- it never goes both ways. <laughs>
1: right. Well, she had super strength in our gravity. <laughs> I know. But, I know. Um, so, we're almost super- at time. Do we want to grab any more comments before we?
3: There's well, there was one more. Now there's two. Wayne says, "Heck, Enterprise was the only show where Andorians truly got any exposure."
2: Amen, mm-hmm. Wayne, and they did. And here, golf, oh, dude. here's. I, a, was, I was wondering like, if
3: exposure was a cold joke. But. That's what I was wondering too.
2: <laughs> but I'm And,
3: and Elaine says, "Where the Zindi, the only ones that had a race that live in the water, that would be interesting to see a true water planet." I totally agree with you.
2: Other than the um, animated series right. episode you just watched.
1: Right. Yep. I was just thinking they, of
3: that.
2: Yep. Yeah. They lived in the water. And a Voyager had an entire episode mm-hmm. where there was a planet that was literally one giant globe of it, water floating. Yeah. It was in
1: basically space. like a space ocean. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. That was a cool episode.
2: Yeah. 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 Hey, one other real quick thing I want to say about planets in Star Trek. And boy, did I not realize this. That we could go two hours on this. No, one easily. Of the is, yeah. One of the things that's so fascinating, is anybody who's watched Star Trek, especially the recent series, noticed they would say, we are approaching a class M planet, mm-hmm. class M being Earth-like planet, primarily oxygen, nitrogen atmosphere. And there were other planetary types. One of them that, um, that was pretty interesting was there was a there was a demon type planet in Voyager. I think that was type Y. There's all these different types of planet. What's interesting is people throughout the years literally thought this was something that had come from NASA or something like that they literally (laughs) thought it was made up for star trek it sounded so
1: realistic people thought it was a real scientific scale Mm -hmm. yeah and i think it came about because m is the middle letter of the alphabet (laughs) yeah
3: it is something like that yes
1: not too hot not too cold
3: right yeah
1: yeah all right. Well, that's fun. We'll have to revisit that topic. We're going to have yes. quite a few weeks where we're going to have to come up with topics because there's <laughs> that's no episode. Right. <laughs> yeah, we could go on for this topic. Actually. Don't be surprised if you hear this one coming back in part two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going, to, we're going to be talking about the Lower Decks episode Caves. But first, uh, let's take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. Uh, but don't go away because we'll be right back.
0: afternoon. May we be of assistance, sir?
1: Yes, I'm looking for a podcast for someone who likes that 1960s headache music. Don't these podcasters have atrocious taste? Sir,
0: may I recommend this podcast by Monkeying Around? I guarantee a migraine.
1: I never heard of Monkeying Around.
0: You never heard of Monkeying Around? He's He's never never heard heard of Monkeying monkeying
1: Around. What does Monkeying Around sound like? (laughs) I'll take it. He took it? He took it.
0: Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. Spoiler, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> She's doing a cave echo. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: thought of that two very, seconds ago. Very yeah. good. Awesome. Good job. Awesome. That was
3: amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. So that's spoilers for Star Trek Lower Decks, the episode Caves, uh, which I believe is the eighth episode of season four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I'm going to go ahead and jump out and say this is a wonderful episode. Yes. I love this episode.
0: Yeah. It was. Amen. It was almost like it was... A uh, a re not not recap but when they when they like run at they, like a flashback episode. It's like a flashback yes. episode mm-hmm. where I would in in the old days, it would be flashing back to things you've already seen. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, but this was really cool because you haven't seen it.
2: Right. (laughs) Yeah. All they needed was that goofy harp music that people would use with flashbacks (laughs) sometimes. Well,
1: they did a similar sort of thing in season one in the courtroom episode. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. when they're doing flashbacks to the little mini adventures that were part of the episode. But I mean, I I love this, the the meta commentary, the fact that they're finally doing a a cave episode and that there were so many cave episodes on Star Trek. Yes. yes. Um. And they 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 even made comments about the flat floor and the caves all look the same. Right. <laughs> yes.
3: <laughs> oh man, I I I kind of felt like it. It seemed like a season one episode where mm-hmm. these four characters are uh, establishing the bond between them. You know, they're mm-hmm. kind of getting used to each other and they're getting to know each other and they're becoming friends. And I kind of felt like, in the sense, not only that way, but like it focused solely on our four main characters. Whereas right. over the seasons, this has become much more of an ensemble show where every right. episode will have, you know, Dr. T or the, the captain and, and ransom or mm-hmm. shacks and all, you know, all these extra characters that are all still, you know, have our four main characters at the center of the storyline, but all this, this whole ship is very much more populated now. You'll have a, a subplot that'll revolve around Billups, you know. Mm-hmm. And this one, it boiled down to just the basic concept of these four characters and the relationship between them. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like a much simpler episode. It, it felt kind of throwback. Yeah. But
1: I like that though, because mm-hmm. I mean, they, they call it out in the episode, but they have been there hasn't been foursome really this whole season since they got promoted. Exactly. And I I love that they're building on that, that they're they've and and revealing they've been off leading missions with incense and doing things like that. But yeah. And then I I was thinking about it, watching the episode, like, yeah, I mean, it has been two of them here, two of them there, one of them here, one of them there. Yeah. Um, You haven't had the foursome like you used to have, which I thought it was a a nice, a nice callback to that original setup of the show, but also kind of illustrating how the show has grown this year.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, let me just jump in really quick with a couple of things, because this comment is very, very important. Wayne says, I wait for Veronica's spoiler alerts with great anticipation.
2: <laughs> so do we, Wayne.
3: <laughs> so does she. Right? Yes. And Matt says, the funniest thing in this episode was the idea that Rutherford got pregnant and Hatton told the others. Mariner's reactions were priceless.
2: It was great. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, Yeah, I agree with what Charles said. I thought this episode was brilliant. I laughed Mm -hmm. all the way through. And again, others who've done other things take note. There is a way to do satire, and there's a way to do callbacks. There's a way to do fan service and not go over it. They know how to do it perfectly. (laughs) I lost it because this is something we've all wondered over the years. Okay, they have all the sophisticated technology, communicators, subspace radio, (laughs) and they go into a freaking cave, and they can't reach the ship. And she literally says... Um, um, she says a bunch of rocks always trumps, uh, always, no, a bunch of rocks always blocks centuries of technological progress. <laughs> That's right. It's like in modern movies now where we have to conspire away for the person's about to be killed to all of a sudden lose cell service. Right. And it's funny in Star Trek because they can communicate, <laughs> literally cost thousands of light years. So they walk into right. a cave and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it can't reach the ship. Just right. like that.
3: Cause there's a mineral in the, in the, <laughs> in the rock. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: That's great.
3: Let let me, let me tell you what else this episode made me think of. And and it kind of goes back to DS nine where DS nine, you had big story arcs, especially toward the, the last half of the, of the series, you had big Mm -hmm. story arcs and there would be like a nice, quiet, fun episode before Mm -hmm. the big bang at the end of the season. Right. And I'm thinking specifically, and I don't remember the name of it, but it's the one where they're about to go to war. Everything's about to drop and Jake and Nog go around looking for baseball cards and stuff. And it's <laughs> such a sweet episode yeah. <sighs> and it kind of gives you that, um, that little respite before you have the big thing that hits mm-hmm. at the end of the season. And I'm wondering if we're going to have like a two-parter finale at this one, because, you know, we've got this, this plot that's been going throughout the entire season of right. whatever this ship is. That's been, we thought, destroying ships from all these other races. And I wonder if we're going to get it like a, like a big epic two-part finale. Yeah. And this is that same sort of episode. This is the one that gives you, you know, it, it takes you back to the beginning to remind you of what. I'm just wondering if there's big changes in store mm-hmm. for our four characters, because yeah. they set this up like. Don't you remember when they, they were, when they were all buddies and they all hung out together and they were all fun and sweet and told stories of each other. Right. Well, here's your last time seeing that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I saw a couple of comments today that was like, this did feel like the calm before the storm. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. And I, I, I noted watching this morning. I mean, this is such a small scale episode coming off of mm. the one we had last week. Mm-hmm. Yes. That was like galactic in scale by the end of the episode. Yes. Um, with badgy. Um, but then even cosmic and scale beyond that when he was evolving like and then this one is just our four characters in a cave, mm-hmm. um and then some other characters coming in and out but yeah yeah I I I, I thought it was like you said really sweet and I would like to re sort of reestablish the relationship between these characters and let us check in with where they are as a group right now right and I mean yeah we may be in for a couple of big weeks yeah, yeah I'm looking one. forward I, to it
2: I think that episode I think it was in the cards I think in the cards yes that. yes thank and, you thank you and that's the- <laughs> That's the one that gives us the soulless minions of orthodoxy. <laughs> right, <laughs> the greatest things ever. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. But that's that's actually that's actually true. I read an article last night with Mike McMahon, who actually I guess it was at New York Comic Con. I meant to post mm-hmm. this, and he was saying that he kind of sort of wanted to. Addressed his what he said was kind of alarmist statement from a week or so ago. Yeah, and he said, "Well, look, you know, basically you, when you do the in this business, you, I'm I'm going to paraphrase. He's basically you're always paranoid when you're in the, mm-hmm. in the entertainment business." Yeah. He said, "But I'm writing, I'm writing season five right now," and he kind of sort of thinks he goes, "It's kind of one of those. Oh, but you just never know." And he's like, "And I'm actually kind of sort of looking at season six yeah. So like, he, w- he was trying to walk back because I think he caused a minor panic by what he said.
1: <laughs> he, he got a phone <laughs>
3: call after that came on the internet.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> the Paramount people were like, Look, buddy, why are your fans tweeting us? <laughs> why you got everybody so riled up? Right.
2: Yes. But I also thought they, like you said, they did a really good job because on the, the, the other story, Cryon 4. Here we go. I think it's one with Boimler. They're in the cave and literally out of nowhere, what comes up? An ion storm. Of course, because of course it
3: does. <laughs> <Right>. Well, <laughs> I mean, if, if you if you actually have a cave system where your communicators back up to the ship actually get through, well, you can't have that. So you got to yes. move an ion storm into just knock that completely out. <laughs> I, I, I want to get into
1: some of these because I love yeah. that Boimler story. <sighs> uh, yes. For one, I love that they brought back. What's his face? Levy. Um the conspiracy theory guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's something though, they were doing last week too, that we talked about that are building up on a lot of their own continuity now. Exactly. And I love this this episode did a lot of that also, but I love that it was the Van the Vendorians. And I yes. love that the like the, the Queen Van Vendorian or leader. Yeah. It was it was it was it was Captain face. I just I just blanked it was um it was the captain, it was her yeah. voice. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it, yeah. it sounded as it had to be, it sounded exactly like her. So I didn't exactly catch, like her, and right. I, and I, catch it. And I, I think we laugh because it's a, an animated series, Alien, and they're using a part member of the voice cast. And that just me, like was on
3: the animated series,
1: a better tribute to the animated series than anything we've seen recently.
3: That's <laughs> that, that's exactly what I was going to say after I finished this episode. And I thought, you know, because to me, the aliens looked a little bit like the Phylogians, you know, okay. and I was just thinking this is a much better tribute. To the anniversary of animated series than mm-hmm. anything that we got from those stupid short tracks. Very right. short tracks. <laughs> yes. Not short yes. enough. Not short enough. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so not short enough tracks. Right.
1: I uh, agree but the spoiler I, thing was great. I love the whole little adventure. I love that uh, Levy was accidentally right about the Vidorians yes. and they were just yes. fascinated that. And you knew that yes. was going to happen. All of his wildly wrong. <laughs> He's on the subspace forums. Yes. <laughs> yes. And
0: then he's uh, like having a conversation with them, but arguing with them about they're like, no, we absolutely didn't do this. And he's like, mm, agree to disagree. Right. <laughs> like <laughs>
1: it's exactly one of those internet conspiracy guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what I, I love. To <laughs>
2: What I love, and i got to do this, is they're a their way? he said, I thought you were just a, per- a, paranormal ang- a-, a paranoid anxiety made up by people who needed an imagined enemy to simulate order and unrealistic disaster so it doesn't feel so random and chaotic. And <laughs> yeah. then the guy goes, that's what we wanted you that's to think. Exactly.
1: <laughs> I love that's this. That, they, uh, that, that was a great line. Of faking the the warp, warp drive uh, damaging the you uh, damaging the of the yes. galaxy, and they're like, That wasn't us. Okay,
3: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. a couple of comments because one of them okay. picks up on that point. Um, Wayne says, Uh, wondering if this is a trend with possible resolution or evolution as to why Mariner is constantly a grouch, maybe because she's and, been through so much, so many caves.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, and Matt says. I love the reference to warp drive damaging subspace. I thought they had sort of forgotten about that. Yeah. These people don't forget anything. No. They no, do not. No,
2: <laughs> it, it was a really unfortunate plot device that everybody who wrote it wanted to forget as soon as they yeah. did it. Yeah. So <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. they they they, based, they made a few re- little references to it, I think, and then I think uh, the the official explanation is they made a modification to the engines, so right. it doesn't matter anymore. Because at some point, someone was like, "Well, we can't just do warp six and all the Star Trek shows forever." <laughs>
2: right. Yeah, and the thing <laughs> is the. The first warp modification to get around that was the stupid, move. well, not stupid, but the moving nacelles in Voyager. Mm. That was the whole point. The, the position allowed them to go at, at warp nine. Um, mm-hmm. And then they're like, well, we can't have every ship with the warp nacelles moving up and down. Right. So they quietly got rid of that warp limit. So I love that they brought it back.
1: Yeah, and just I love that it. it. it's <laughs> potentially a Vendorian trick anyway. <laughs> I love that the Vendorians are just going around giving moral tests to
3: people. I was great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. That's more uh, about the uh,
1: Vendorians than we've ever learned.
3: Yeah.
2: Yes, and I love the whole thing where it's like, well, you're not as bad as we thought. Except, oh, you, you you actually still lay eggs in people's throats wherever that brute pa- pouch was. <laughs> I was like, what well, we we actually
1: do that? <laughs> was that a was that a was that a reference to the Gorn? Because <laughs> that oh. made me think of the new Gorn <laughs> It could have people. Been. <laughs> hmm. It could I have didn't been. Think about that. Oh man, well, let's, we're we've got like ten minutes left. We're ten left. Oh minutes my gosh! Left. So, um, <laughs> let's talk about uh, Rutherford having a baby. Yeah. Oh, so that was that alien? That was an alien, that was that
0: alien Star Trek before. Uh uh-uh. uh Okay, cool.
1: No, but there was a different alien that made Trip have a baby. Yeah, I, I remember that. Just gonna yeah. say that. Yeah.
0: I th- I thought there was, but I was like, I don't remember that Being in like current.
1: Like no, yeah, but I love that. Just as a Starfleet officer, it's like, yeah, I had a baby in a cave one time. I didn't tell you guys about that. <laughs> <And> they're like, <laughs> what? no, <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> Even Boymore's like, I have a roommate. You didn't tell me, right? <laughs> I didn't hear you making your log or anything.
1: That kind of things happens on a, on a away missions.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, and it's another Star Trek trope because there's um there's the famous there's there's been a couple of famous episodes. There was one in and uh, Voyager with this alien despot. Uh, took over uh, Kess's body, and right. then there's a really bad episode of DS Nine with this dude named Rayo Vantica kept transferring himself by touching people. That's where uh, Doctor Bashir does this <laughs> horrible acting. So this whole kind of yeah. transferring yourself to people is not as another trope that they kind of picked up on the Star Trek. Right? I just loved. I,
1: I really liked in that one though the the development for Tiana. Yes. Um, you know that her not liking. I think she likes less than engineers or babies and then <laughs> but she's kind of bonds with this baby over the
3: course of the episode mm-hmm. Yeah. the, of the story mm-hmm. I guess
1: it was like I don't know 7 minutes long <laughs>
3: yeah yeah and i felt like this is a very different episode for tana mm. because she mm. wasn't her you know off the off the collar kind of character like she is, where she's just cussing left and right, and right. she's she's much more measured in this one. She's much more calm and and doing the job, but without you know, I don't know, I just felt like it was a different approach, and i I kind of enjoyed it, yeah, yeah. she wasn't the comic yeah. relief, in other words, right, right, which uh-huh. we've gotten a lot of with her, like you know chasing the when the board come on the ship and she chases the laser pointer you know right, right. just stupid crap like that that is hilarious and yep. and we didn't get any of that kind of to on it in this mm-hmm. one which i loved i really enjoyed
2: yeah i liked the matter of fact way in which she just nonchalantly said these gals procreate by dermal contact and it was just so whatever hey it is it's just what it is a medical yeah. fact
1: exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. And i i liked rutherford using his engineering um skills to make the trans the the uh, tricorder to be a translator. Yeah. Yes, Zig mm-hmm. so talked. Oh, that be great. Yeah. That was that was smart. Yeah, yeah, it was really
3: good.
2: Mm-hmm. This episode did another one of those things that's also funny if you do it right, which is where the aliens are horribly seeming and they speak in these big, expansive phrases. And then when you talk to them all of a sudden, they're like, Yeah, you know, hey, whatever, dude. You know, they, and all of a sudden, because like that creature, it was yep. roaring. And then it was like, Oh, I, I wouldn't try to eat you. I just want to protect my kid. Mm-hmm. And it was <laughs> it was just also something else they did throughout the three the episodes I thought was cool is you notice every person's experience allowed them to contribute a little bit to the technology they needed mm-hmm. to get out of the current situation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Them, and they even did amazing techno babble with that one mineral that it had a name. And then there was another version. Where they literally slapped try in front of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it
1: was
3: right, right.
2: So it's like cobalt. Well, there's try cobalt. There's this, yeah. there's try this. It was great.
3: Do you know what? There's another theme here that I didn't really notice at the time. And it's only as we're discussing this that I'm kind of picking up on it. And that is that almost every one of the stories that they're telling has something to do with them making contact with and, and forming a relationship with something that is an other, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like Rutherford doing the translator to talk to the monster and, um, the way that the, the, the lady impregnates Rutherford and he's like freaking out about it, but then he forms a bond with the baby mm-hmm. and, and even Ta'ana does that as yes. well. And, and it's then, you know, forming the, uh, forming an impression on the shape changing M- mold or moss or whatever it is, which right. then turns out to be the Vendosians, and they are—you know—the whole thing has been a morality test, and they—they they make a, a bond with them as well, so they're bonding with each other in a new way. But they're also forming bonds with the people and the and the aliens around them.
1: Mm-hmm. And That's even interesting, and even characters that we've seen before, like Um yeah. Levy, yeah, Delta uh, Shift, yeah, that have not been likable characters, yeah, yeah, that they're. You know, I, I really enjoyed the Mariner and Delta Shift thing, where she's now yeah. lieutenant and she's leading the mission. But yeah. Then I mean, she has to sort of reach common ground, and I love that the weird little thing where they grow older as they walk towards the one wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was good.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: then, and then they introduce, like, "Hey, look up here!" <laughs> <laughs> right. Here. <laughs> no, and they even threw chronotons in there. I mean, yeah. they were really hitting it today. Yeah. Uh, you're right. That was great with 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 the whole thing. Yeah. I, I like what you said because they even they even talked about it was like caves always foster understanding and (laughs) openness and sharing and all. It's it's almost like the ultimate um, getaway from a company when they make you go on a picnic or something to try to bomb. It's like the caves (laughs) do this for everybody.
3: (laughs) Right. It's a a team building challenge. (laughs) I just wonder, you know, what's going to happen in the next two episodes? Because if they're doing this much to build bridges between all these disparate characters, is there going to be like a big ship-wide separation t- next week or something like that? Know. I'm just, I'm really interested in how these bonds are going to carry on through the storytelling and the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, me too.
2: Yeah. Um, Ali. Uh, I'm sorry, Charles, you were talking about the one with Mariner. One of the things I thought was, again, callbacks, when the guy says the shell salvageable, salvageable. The powers Dunsel, Dunsel.
3: I heard him. I heard it, uh, he it It's the powers Dunsel <laughs>
2: from oh, the I, didn't, I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah. He said the That's powers Dunzo, Dunsel.
1: But... Yes, yeah, Dunsel. Which,
2: which, it's a part that serves no useful purpose, which is mm-hmm. what the uh, commodore called Kirk in uh, the ultimate computer when he yep. was going to be replaced
3: by M five. Yeah. Yep. So that I was totally another. missed that line. That's so funny.
2: And oh. the mineral that they needed, they pronounced it completely differently, but they kept mm-hmm. calling it pergium. It's mm-hmm. pergium, yep. the mineral that they were mining in The Devil in the Dark from the original series. Oh, of yeah. Horda. Yep. So, yep. which is in caves. Yes.
1: <laughs> Everything is in caves. And that yes. that creature in the Rutherford storyline was very Horda ish. Yeah. You know, not in look necessarily, mm. but it's protecting mm-hmm. its baby. It's not trying to be a monster. Um, right. Was, right. was the whole thing for the Horda. Oh,
3: yeah. Yes. That's very smart. Yeah. Um, Elaine says she feels bad for that one guy that lost his leg. Did he get his <laughs> leg back? Did he? No. The, did to Anna, no they have to. Go, no, but did she leg. regrow it? Oh, I, I, so. I want to know. Is he just hobbling around, or did he get a new leg? I'm, I'm sure not well, sure he got a, leg. Got sure a new so. leg.
2: Yeah, well, they said they couldn't risk going back, so they said, look, we'll just get you, a, we'll
1: get the doctor to get you a yeah. new one. And at the
2: end, he was like, can we go get my, can I get
1: my leg back? And they were like, no. So, we're,
0: we're done being old. We're not going back for your leg. <laughs> right.
1: I love when Mariner and the other woman just turn into, like, bickering old ladies as they're <laughs> walking along. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah she goes, oh, good. my hip! Yeah, that was that was great. And then I learned, yeah, the one guy who broke his leg, they're basically like, he's a prodigy, he's young, so he can afford a few years. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: that was the whole thing yeah and then i, I loved in the tendy storyline that it goes back to the first episode yeah it takes place right mm-hmm. after when they, basically they're when they first met and became friends yes
3: mm-hmm. uh which i thought was really nice yeah I, that's why i'm telling you man this whole thing is a huge throwback and they're preparing us for yeah. something next week we got a big couple of weeks coming i think yeah we do man i'm yeah. i'm so looking. oh wait 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 we got a golden girls meets lower decks <laughs> right I don't know if Elaine knows how much I love Golden Girls, but you just, <laughs> you're just singing my song right now, Elaine. Right.
1: Uh, so, I mean, so any speculation about what we're going to come up against in the next couple of weeks? I mean, we've got this big storyline that they didn't touch on at all. We better right. see Talyn in the
3: next two weeks, because I haven't oh. seen Talyn in a while. Uh, no, I'm sure she's going to be in the last two, and, I and we know that she's going to be in season five, according to what Mike yeah. McMahon said. So, yeah, I'm sure she'll be there in, uh, in the last two-parter. I'm it. already assuming it's a two-parter. <laughs> right.
1: And then I mean they've they've got the dangling storyline. I think it was from all the way back to last season where Boimler was like yeah. listed in section 31. Or yeah. you know, uh, transporter duplicate Boimler. Right. Um, which they've not revisited <sighs> yet. So that's still I out there. I
2: completely forgot about that. Yeah. Yep.
1: And then you have that dangling storyline of Rutherford and his implant. Like, yes. Uh, the origins of that. Yes. So I mean, either those could come back in the next two weeks or those could be season five storylines. We don't know. That's exactly. right. Mm-hmm. I thought um, they
0: finalized his implant mm-hmm. in an
1: uh, No, we learned some about it in that episode mm-hmm. last year, but they haven't gone back to that yet. Hmm. Yeah. So,
2: if one of the things about, one of the things I did love about tonight's episode, we keep talking about they were doing the callbacks, is they they even inserted techno babble that literally made no sense. But like um, Voyager, especially, got accused of that. You know, it's it sometimes what you hear so many times in Star Trek, they will say, if I can just. And that all that weird stuff was like, uh, "Boy, i gonna take off your pants." The the material, the fiber,
1: hit my phaser beam. <laughs> and dude,
2: what? I love he, he
1: could have used my jacket. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, I love when he takes his pants off. She's like, "You just did that right away," and he's like, "He's my roommate." <laughs> right, exactly. The, you know, that reminds me of another thing that I thought was funny was they're in, at the end when they're in Tendy's story and they're stuck in the mm. turbo lift. And she and Tindy was like, Oh, you know, this has been such a fun day. This is the best day ever. And and Mariner says, Well, did you enjoy peeing in the corner? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the turbo lift is round. There is no corner.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's a <hatch> or something. <laughs> maybe. <sighs> yeah. No, I I, I, I love this one. This maybe is one of, if not my favorite, episode of the season so far. And I've, this first yeah, time yeah. I've said that this year.
3: Because it's been a super strong year. It has been yes. such a good year. Yeah.
0: Lower decks is always. This is such a good year.
3: Well, I, 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 I mean, I feel like is. we do have the same conversation mm-hmm. every season because it's yes. better every year. It yeah. is. Yeah, and they, absolutely. I mean, it, it was it was a
1: great step to uh, let them be promoted, and mm-hmm. you can build more on the characters that way. Yep. But mm-hmm. I love that they're to the point now that they're they're using their own continuity. Yes. And it's things yes. from Lower Decks coming back that we remember. <laughs> Uh, and I hope they continue doing that into season five because I think oh, that, really that is really effective. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Right. Yeah. Can you believe I, I I mean, what is a season great. four? We're not even, we're at like 30, 37 episodes of this show so far. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's yeah. That's yeah. Like,
0: like almost a, a whole season.
1: That's like a season and a half of DS9. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But that, that's, uh, it's crazy how few episodes there have been, but they've built, yep. they've built the show up so much. So not I'm, only that,
0: but they're like half the length. So really, yeah. this is like they're not half even a length, season. they the length, but
1: three times the pace. So yes. I'm not sure how that <laughs> <other> works out. <laughs> That's true.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's some I, of I feel most like story, they're
0: in ADHD time.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's
2: some of the most story dense stuff I've ever seen. Because we say every week, like they're under 30 minutes. And I I took a full journey with these people today. Mm-hmm. A yeah. complete, satisfying story. Amazing yeah. they can do that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Absolutely yeah. amazing. So I'm I'm looking forward to next week. So yeah. but next week, we're do something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Because next week we're going to have a Halloween special instead of talking about lower decks, And so we're going to be talking about some of the some of the uh, horror horror and Halloween movies that have starred Star Trek Alumni. So everyone's got some homework this week to, to find some episodes to mention. Right. Uh, but we're going to be talking about some of our, our favorite um, horror and Halloween movies that feature Star Trek Alumni, and then the following week, <laughs> we'll be doing the final two episodes of Lower Decks, so no separate topic that week.
3: S- since it is a two-parter. Right. Yeah.
0: (laughs) We already know this.
1: Right.
3: We're just going to assume. Yep. Exactly.
1: (laughs) And then the week after that, we're going to celebrate our belated 140th episode, which is actually technically next week, but you know, you got to squeeze some things in. So Wayne and
2: I, Wayne, I've been talking about some of this offline, and so for the rest of you listening, start thinking about everything from Blackula to Kingdom of the Spiders to Twilight Zone to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, well, and everything in between.
3: Right. What you need to do to start with is just pull up Jeffrey Combs' IMDb. Yeah,
0: I already have one.
1: Okay, oh yeah, well, let's, let's save some for next week. Exactly. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's gonna be fun.
1: Yeah. All right, so Alan, where can people find more of you?
3: Well, go listen to Modern Musicology, my other podcast. It's a music podcast, as the name implies, and we are coming up on our 100th episode. And I'm very excited about that. We plan to do a whole show of listener questions. I haven't actually pitched out to to get people to submit questions yet. I'm going to be doing that very, very soon. So if anybody listening is a Modern Musicology listener, I know Elaine is, come up with questions that you want to pitch to Uh, our four co-hosts and we're gonna we're gonna be doing that on our 100th episode and then of course you can look for dr who a to z and you can look for cosmiccreative.com k-o-z-m-i-c creative.com
1: and how about you keith
2: you can find me on x and in facebook primarily the eso network facebook groups and then one day maybe a book but more on that later (laughs) much later
1: And how about you? How about us, Veronica?
0: <laughs> Feltnerdy.com.
1: Yep. And where else?
0: Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. Yeah, do you
1: have a closing for us this week? No. Oh, my gosh. Oh, we goodness. have so many great quotes in this episode. I know. You're trying now. You,
0: you, didn't, you didn't remind me. I did.
1: I did. <laughs> Watching the episode earlier.
0: At 5 a.m.?
1: No. Okay. After work.
0: Okay. I don't remember you being like, look at that.
1: Sorry. All right. So I'm going to say I hate cave missions.
0: Okay. There you go. <laughs> that was
1: that. So, um, tune in next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we'll, on YouTube and on Facebook, we'll be having our Halloween special. And uh, if you miss it, you can catch up the, the replay on YouTube or listen to us on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining us, everybody, and have a great night. Thanks. See y'all. See ya. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating.
0: or by shopping at the Tea Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.